Get your hands dirty with the Gardening Gang. Saturday mornings at 8 on Coast FM 963. Classic Hits, Coast FM 963. It's our Saturday morning get-together for the Gardening Gang being sponsored by Alan Graham's Caravans and RVs at Wyoming and also Doormaster, Security Doors and Windows and the starlet herself, Sherilyn Darcy, joins us this morning. G'day. Good morning, Pete. Well, Sherilyn, it's been a big week for you. We can't release any information about that now, but... Who knows? It could be on TV soon. Oh, dear. In the meantime, we've got some great news today about joining us at Floriard on the Coast FM Gardening Gang Coach yes. in September. This is exciting news. Regular listeners might remember when the CEO of Floriard was on our show a few weeks ago and he invited both you and I, Pete, he down. He said, you've got to come down to Canberra. He said, come down and broadcast live. He wanted to hear the Gardening Gang live from Floriard. We said yes, but then we thought... Why don't we take some gangsters with us? Okay, so Palmer's coaches have organised a really good package. I'll tell you about the details soon. We will. How to book, how to express interest. And also today on the show we're talking about pollinators. Uh, yes, they need yes. lots of pollinators down in Canberra to get those flowers happening, but we need them here on the Central Coast as well. It's a very responsible show today. Let me tell you, also we've got um, our good friend MC Microbe, He's got an amazing idea has come forward on how to uh, dispose of plastics. Yes, using with a mushroom. With a mushroom, it's amazing. <laughs> All on the gardening gang today at Coast FM nine six three, along with some great classic hits. Hits Coast FM nine six three on this Saturday morning. And what a gorgeous day it is for a coronation as well. Well, Sherilyn, it's going to be big, big, big all around the world. The TV coverage tonight starts about 5 o'clock on the TV. I wonder how many stations will carry the coronation. What do you I reckon? Two or three? I don't know. I think it's pretty locked up by the ABC, isn't it? I, I don't that's know. what I think. I don't know. I don't I think the checked. palace actually charges a price. To carry it, mm. they probably say, whatever you want to do. Whatever you want to do. Give Charles in. the opportunity. Once in a lifetime, I wasn't, were you around back in the first coronation of him, his <laughs> mum? 1953. No. I was I only a around. little pup then, and we didn't have TV, so you only uh-huh. saw bits of black and white on the uh, newsreels ah. at the movie theatre. But this is an eventful day because, uh, you know, Charles and I are about the same age. Are you? He's a fraction older than me. Okay. And he's on his second wife and I'm still on my first. Well, <laughs> I tell you what, the segue There's to that, difference. the segue to that, that is in my, yes, in my youth, going into my 20s, I think, it was his marriage, his first marriage, which was huge. And I remember everybody stopped to, to watch beautiful Lady Diana marry Prince Charles. And that was massive. That was everywhere. There were TVs put, like in the, back in the, even the older days, oh, TVs put in. Absolute shops and everything. Wedding, wasn't it? It yeah, was, and I, and I do really remember well, watching we follow that. follow the royals, you see. We're getting yeah. less royal here in Australia. But, boy, it's going to be big. Thinking about the coronation tonight uh-huh. on television, uh, flowers will be a big part of this and the decoration of the church and a all that huge. kind of thing. So what do you what do you reckon? Have the Poms got enough there, you reckon? I've been <laughs> importing them from Australia. No, I don't <laughs> think so. It's well known that Prince Charles is an environmentalist and I think in line with uh, Prince Harry went along with this, he gathered all of his own flowers, had them grown. They, oh, you know, they're okay. very... I, I think what we will see 
is a lot of flowers that are grown purposefully for this event and probably then donated on afterwards. But I would say that there would be a lot of emblems there that have to do with uh, the royal family and with England as well in the UK. Represent Well, they'll be representing, that's what I'd say. And, of course, the uh, all those nations around the world that uh, yes. still see the king as their king. The Commonwealth. The exactly. Commonwealth, indeed. So you'd be looking out for a, a wattle emblem probably somewhere if they do that. Not gum trees. <laughs> no, they, they seem to, to use the, the wattle. Like Guy and Lilies in the corner? <laughs> no, that's our national emblem, Pete. <laughs> dear, oh dear. Now, talking about that, there's a bit of a threat around with the bees and yes. pollinators is our discussion point today because we've got a couple of experts coming up, but just encapsulate what we're after in terms of talking about pollinators today. Right, we're we're in a bit of a crisis on the Central Coast and I think a lot of people aren't aware of it. They might have heard of this term and not really understood it. The Varroa mite came into Newcastle Port last year and it has decimated the beekeeping and honey industry in this area. And we are... uh, point zero here and there's a lot of things that the DPI, the Department of Primary Industries is doing to try to stop this mite going out into the rest of the country. Now it's time for us, gardeners, people who like flowers and plants to turn our hand to helping turn this around because honeybees are actually not an Australian, they're not a native insect. They're from overseas, the European honeybee. Mm -hmm. We have so many other ways of pollination and what we all need to do, so it's a bit of a serious show today. We'll still have some fun and laughter as well, but it is serious. We all need It's always fun and laughter. It always is, but we all need to help our pollinators. So that's the theme today and how we can do that. So whether you're a gardener, whether you just you know, you're a a conscious person that would like to help out as well. We've got some experts coming up. We've got Clara, the president of Permaculture Central Coast, always a fantastic guest on our show with her ideas. And we also have the Wild pollinator Ben McAndrew and he is the champion of native bees so I think we all don't know enough about our native bees and he'll be giving us some tips about how we can help our little friends the native bees along as well as well as that all of our regulars Coast FM it is the gardening gang with Pete and Sherlin Coast FM, Pete Little and Cheryl and Darcy on this Saturday morning and uh, we're talking about pollinators today. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, you mentioned pollinators a few times in conversation and I only thought that bees were pollinators. There's quite a few other things that pollinate. You know, even bats pollinate as well. Oh, my God. But I have got a very special guest, one of our favourite regular guests on the line for us, and that's Clara, the president of Permaculture Central Coast, on the line to have a chat about this pollinator problem. Hey, gangsters. Good morning. Now, do we have a problem? Pete, you're all over it. Once again, like a hot flannel, you're, you've got your finger on the pulse on the Central Coast. And yes, at the moment, because of the DPI varroa mite response, the Central Coast and Newcastle is actually a honeybee-free zone. So the DPI, the Department of Primary Industries, is in the process of eliminating all honeybees from our area. They're doing this in order to control the spread of a particularly awful mite. So for the next couple years around the Central Coast, unfortunately, your dear listeners won't be noticing any more honeybees in their gardens. Does that mean that we know uh, productivity of honey uh, at all, honey? Yes, yeah, so honeybees are our main source of honey and 
even though we have some sugar bag bees and a few other bees that produce honey, they don't produce enough for us to really harvest in large quantities. Mm. So it does mean that there'll be no more honey production on the central coast in Newcastle. However, other places in the state are still going to be able to continue honey production. So you, you won't have any problem getting honey off the shelf in Sydney. So what you're saying is that bees have got to stop at the Hawkesbury Bridge. So the DPI are the pollinating police, is that right? Yes, yes. They are the Department of Primary Industries, but they've also now become the bee police. If you were a gardener like me and Sherilyn, you, yep. that would be a, you'd be noticed, starting to notice yeah. that and you'd be getting a little bit worried because those of us who produce food or seeds so that we can re reproduce our flowers instead of having to buy new flowers every year or if we want to grow our own fruit mm -hmm. the only way to create seeds is through pollination it doesn't mean that there'll be absolutely no pollination without the honeybees mm -hmm. but they were doing the bulk of the work because there's so many of them and they're so they're so busy they're such hard workers our honeybees so those of you who are really keen gardeners are probably looking at your garden right now and thinking, well, what can I do? I need to get this pollinated. Yeah, what can we do? What sort of yeah. pollinators do we have on the Central Coast that we can encourage? And apart how, from bees. Apart from bees. Yeah. So, and how can we so encourage the first, them? The first thing we want to do is we want to encourage as many other cr little critters into our gardens as possible. So I think you're going to have the amazing wild pollinator on your show and he's probably going to have a lot more information about exactly yes, what types of little insects there are around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Ben's amazing. He's going to have lots of info about that for you. Other pollinators are things like birds, bats, even the wind can be something that helps you with pollination as well. So we've got lots of that on the Central Coast, which is good news. But one thing that doesn't help pollination, unfortunately, is broad-spectrum pesticide use uh, or yes. those flat lawns that everyone loves. They mm. look very nice and they're great for rolling a ball across but unfortunately they're not good for pollinators because there's no flowers on a lawn. I'll get my mowing man to say, don't cut any of that lawn that's good for pollinators. No, get rid right. of it. Get rid of that lawn and plant some flowers. Oh, I thought there. you were going to say go to concrete or something. No, no not well. concrete. No. <laughs> no, put some, you know what? You need to rip up half of that lawn. I've seen your front lawn. You don't need all it's that beautiful. now. You don't Taking need it. Taking years, mate, to oh, develop no. that. I, I would cut that down by at least half. And Clara, <laughs> save me, save me. No, put some, at no, least some flowers right, in. <laughs> got to do it do it for the insects so what else we can do though if we if we do have a prize crop that we're particularly particularly interested in getting some fruit off or saving some seeds from is there are some hand pollination techniques that we can use which means that the bees are gone but we can step in as humans and try and do the same jobs that bees do ah. because something like up to 90 percent of anything that wants to produce a seed is going to need some kind of help with pollination Mm. So if you've got, for example, something in the cucubit family, so a pumpkin or a melon, the best thing to do there, that's a self-pollinating crop, which mm -hmm. means that you don't need more than one plant to achieve pollination. So that one plant is going to have a male and a female flower. Right. And what you have to do is get your little paintbrush out or your cotton swab 
Put your bee suit on, put some wings on, Pete. <laughs> find the male flower, grab some pollen from the male flower, right. and then take it over to the female flower. Now, the way you know the female flower is because she's the one that's going to produce the fruit. She's the one who's got the ovum. Right. So she's going to have a large circle somewhere, like a large pre-fruit, a swollen base, and that's mm. going to be your female. Mm-hmm. And the one who's skinnier and who's just got one big sticky thing sticking out, that's going to be your male. So that's Sounds pretty easy familiar. to remember. Right. This is not an R-rated <laughs> show, you know. Dude. It was pollination, yeah. I know. Now, that's what we do for our cucubits. But if we've got something which is sometimes called a perfect flower, which is a flower that has both the male and the female part on one flower, so that's things like your beautiful snow peas or your tomatoes or your tomatillos. So those things have got the male and female flower in the same spot and they just need a little bit of help releasing the pollen. So you just want to give those a little bit of a shake or a bit of vibration and then that should pollinate itself. So if your listeners are interested in finding out a little bit more about how we can increase pollination rates without our honeybees, we've actually got a Professor James Cook who's a professor of entomology at Western Sydney University, and he's going to be doing a talk for Permaculture Central Coast, but anyone can hop along and join this Zoom session. The information's on our Facebook page and on the Permaculture Central Coast website. All right, well, James Cook, with a name like that, he'd probably get into boating as well, so there you go. <laughs> Thanks, gangsters. There's Barra from Central Coast Permaculture on the radio this morning. And the- You're right at home with The Gardening Gang, Coast FM 963. Gloria, it's a big event in Canberra every year and uh, Sherlyn and, and Pete and a whole bunch of people have been walking behind the scenes to take a group of Coast FM listeners to Floria because we're doing a radio broadcast. Sherlyn, you've been working on this day <laughs> and night. I actually have. It's been very busy. <clears throat> Could do with a bit of help here. But anyway, we're going on the 22nd to the 24th of September. And I've had a few questions already. Yes, Pete and I are going to be travelling with you on the coach there and back. We're not going in limousines or anything. We'll, well be there with you. Well, people don't know yet we're doing a coach tour. Well, we're, going, we're doing coach tour. We're, we're taking doing an outside broadcast, but we're also we taking are. a whole bunch of people with us on the coach. We are. So the coach is going to be leaving from various places across the central coast so easy to get on. Two nights premium motel accommodation down in Canberra. Breakfasts and dinners are included and Friday lunch and morning tea as well. We're going to Corbett Gardens, Tulip Top Gardens, uh, the historic Goulburn. We're doing some shopping. You might like to buy Peter present. No, you don't need to. And I love this. We actually are going to be broadcasting live from Floriard. So you don't have to get up as early as Pete and I to arrange it, but the coach tour will take you there. And then we'll spend the day there at Floriard. At night time, we're going up to Mount Ainsley and looking at the lights as well. And then on the way home, uh, we're also having this wonderful garden tour of the embassy districts and also the gardens of Parliament House. All It's a huge Tell three days. the price, son. The price. I think this is amazing. <laughs> we have partnered with Palmer's Tours and it is a not-for-profit. That's what it is. We're community. It's a community radio station, not-for-profit tour. It's seven seventy for Twin Chair and uh, just a little bit of a premium there if you want a single room. But you are staying in motel style accommodation And as how well. do we book? How do you book? You need to jump on the telephone. That's what you need to do. You need to contact Palmer's Tours and the phone number is 432 58 000. That's 432 
5800. They'll give you all the details. It is limited. We're only taking one coach. You can't take a fleet. <laughs> That's it. 22nd to the 24th of September. Join us to go to Florida. Whack that in your calendar. Get your friends together. Come and join us for a great weekend in Canberra. Their big flower show, the Floriard. And I thought we'd play a song for uh, all those who are coming with us. It's called The Escape. And here is ah. Rupert. Coast FM, The Gardening Gang with Pete Little and Sherilyn Darcy. And, of course, it is the, the weekend for royalty. It and is. And what do we think about when we think about royalty? We think about I queen think about bees. queen bees. I yes. do. I okay. Do. <laughs> now, we've got the wild pollinator himself on the line. Great, uh, great being here. Thanks for having me to talk all things native bee today. All right, Ben, we've been speaking with Clara earlier today about the varroa mite and the honeybee problems. Very sad yes, time. Yes, uh, it is very incredibly sad, sad and it's a uh, very unfortunate uh, hardship that a lot of local honeybee keepers uh, are facing right now, isn't it? It absolutely is. I say nothing for the bees. No, I know, I know. Well, I've always been a champion for native bees. I, I do, I do love them. They're, they're really close to my heart, and yeah, I've been trying to educate. I've been trying to educate my co-host here, Pete, about native bees. But is the varroa mite a threat to our native bees, Ben? Uh, fortunately enough for our native bees, um, research into the topic has demonstrated that varroa mite does not directly attack or impact any of our native bee species. The oh. mite itself's reproductive biology is so closely evolved with that of the honeybee that there is no known case of it jumping to a different species. So mm. direct impacts from varroa mite, our native bees, totally, totally safe. But there are some carry-on uh, or secondary impacts that I'd like to talk about if that's okay with Oh, you. absolutely, please. Uh, some preliminary research that I've come across uh, suggests that uh, the varroa might, might actually be a good thing. Um, you know, currently we're losing a lot of honeybees, both feral colonies uh, and domesticated colonies alike, um, at creating access to resources, the flowers that our native bees often like. Mm. Um, so the reduced competition might actually long-term benefit some of our native bee populations. However, I'm sure uh, Clara has probably spoken about some of the uh, the chemical applications and eradication techniques that oh, uh, are yeah. being used. She did. Yeah, so that's where these secondary or follow-on impacts that I'm going to talk about uh, sort of come into effect. So mm. the Department of Primary Industries um, and Biosecurity New South Wales uh, are using um, chemical baiting stations uh, so whilst I understand the Department of Primary Industries are doing everything within their power to limit uh, or mitigate the off-target species um, that these chemical baiting stations might impact, there is always a risk there that uh, our native bee species might visit these sugary bait stations, be attracted to it and come into contact with that uh, insecticide that's housed within. Wow. So yeah, it's a bit of a touch and go topic at the moment for, for me as a native beekeeper and as a, a, just a general native bee enthusiast. What sort of ways can we as gardeners and beginner gardeners as well, what can we do to help our native bee population on the coast? Great question. The best thing that I believe you can do as a, a local resident is get some native flowering plants established in your garden. There's a whole range of things that do well in pots as well. So you don't have to be restricted to only big spaces to be able to provide food for some of these native bee species. Pete, I'm going to give you a little bit of a test now. All right. <laughs> and I'm not going to answer because I actually know the answer to this. Australian not native bees. I want you to put a number on it. How many Australian native bees oh. do you think there are in Australia? I, like I, different I types? really haven't studied this. And I don't think you guys have talked about this today. But I'm thinking maybe um, 200. 200 different. Ben. 
But I, I would suggest I, to you now, if I got a dollar for every one, I wouldn't be rich, but I would be happy to get that in my pocket. You know what would I mean? you? Yeah, you'd probably have a pretty nice weekend out. In fact, we're talking something like 2,000 different known and identified oh, species oh, across oh, Australia. A couple 2, of grand in my species. pocket. I could yeah. do some damage there. How, I know. How many of these can we find on the Central Coast about? There is a myriad of species from all sorts of colours, fluffy ones, big Big ones, noisy ones, tiny ones that you think of flies. I personally have counted about 20 different species just on my travels through the central coast. The most notable ones that come to mind because I find them all the time in my own garden are, of course, the blue-banded bees and the teddy bear bees. They're big. They're noisy. Everybody sees them or at least hears them. They're beautiful bees and they belong to the amedula family of bees. We have leafcutter bees. Has anybody ever wondered why there's little semicircles uh, out of their hot roses, for example? The leafcutter ones, they cut, they do, they cut the little bits of the leaf out and they line the inside of their little, uh, now I don't know the na- name of it, it's not their hive. Yeah, so they're a part of a group of bees, a very large group of bees that mm. we call solitary bees. They don't mm. live in colonies like That's our it. honeybee does. They live solitary lives, and we call it a nesting cavity. Nesting habitat, also really critical for bees. Well, I think the whole topic uh, today has opened my mind up to the fact that uh, if I had $1 for each of these different varieties, I've got $2,000 in my pocket plus. <laughs> you should be going out buying native flowering plants and planting them in your garden. Okay, well, I can't commit to that, but we'll try it out. <laughs> it's been good talking to Ben, though. It has. Oh, it ben, has. ben McAndrew. Absolutely. Very... Thanks again for having me. I'll yeah. talk about native bees anytime <laughs> you want. But you can find me on both Facebook and Instagram as The Wild Pollinator. Thank you. Thank you both so much for having me. Good on you, wonderful. mate. Good on you. It's good to hear that. Moody Blue on a beautiful Saturday morning here on the central coast of New South Wales with the Gardening Gang and uh, temperatures today, max 20. It's going to be a dry day, but rainy tomorrow. Can't avoid the rain. Sherilyn Darcy and Pete Little now introducing the gorgeous Vicky What's Hot from Narara Valley Nursery. Good morning to you, young Vic. Good morning. Good and morning. this morning is not very hot, is it? No. <laughs> Quite well, chilly. It's a gorgeous day, but I think maybe about, uh, what's the gauge say here at the moment? Oh it's goodness, got it's uh, cold. Mm, not a lot, not a lot of temps. 12 degrees on the mangrove mm. mountain. And, uh, at in, least it's um, not single. You know, it's about 14 on the coastline there, so it's about 14 at your place now. Now, yeah. I've got to ask the question, what is hot around Central Coast Garden Centres? Vicky? All righty. Our friends at Coachwood Nursery, located at Summersby, are holding a wreath and posy workshop tomorrow. Starts at 3pm. Bookings are via their website at coachwoodnursery.com. Burbank and Erina are loaded up on produce and it looks like they've got every variety under the sun. Mother Earth Nursery at Point Clare have got lemons, but wait, not just lemons, they're pink lemons. Oh. No joke, pink flesh. They're apparently very tasty with hardly any seeds and strike me pink, I want one. Oh, me too. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> but they look really good. Mm-hmm. Forest's Beach Garden Centre have got big red anthuriums if, you've, if you're looking for a quick Mother's Day present and Waii Nursery have got 30% off all climbing roses. Oh. So... That being the case, how do you outdo them at Narara Valley? What is hot at the moment at uh, Narara Valley Nursery? Vic, you know. Well, strap yourselves in because in. I don't want anyone falling off their chairs. Oh. Starting today yeah. at Narara Valley Nursery is our big 20% off all plant sales. Starts right now as I speak. Sale excludes discounted items. 
but we've got loads of super awesome specials too. We are chockers full of plants and they're all 20% off. Sale ends 31st of May, so don't miss out. Have you got the pink lemons as well? No, I want the pink lemons though. <laughs> <laughs> okay. oh, no, We've got to get though. those pink lemons in front of me competitive. I'm loving with it. With the pink lemon what market. a great Mother's Day present as <laughs> well. I reckon. Well, yeah. They actually do some really awesome different plants at Mother Earth Nursery at Point Clare. Right. Like all the different stuff. They've always got it. Bit of unusual. All right. Yeah. So what's not, not so hot in the gardening scene? Vic? Okay. Asking for chilli and tomato seedlings. Everybody, that ship has sailed. You'll have to wait until springtime now, so avoid disappointment and head straight for the brassicas. (laughs) (laughs) Boring brassicas. Yeah, that's it. Time's out. Time's (laughs) out. True. (laughs) Now, we've got uh, just a little bit of time here. What is it now? About eight minutes towards nine Mm o'clock. Gardening gang game. Is it a fact or is it a fib? What's the topic, Sherilyn? All right, play along at home now, Coasties. Is it a fact or is it a fib? Now's a really good time to plant foxgloves. Now, foxgloves, also known as digitalis papaya, are where you get uh, all the heart drugs from. Vincent van Gogh, yeah, it is, digitalis. That's where it comes from. That's a fact. That's a fact. I know Vicky knows that. So Vincent van Gogh had some problems with his heart and his doctor made up a compound because people knew back then of digitalis, of foxglove. This is where I'm, this is the story now. Is this a fact or a fib? And he gave it to him. Now, a side effect of digitalis is that you don't see the colours quite so well. So when you go and see Vincent van Gogh's paintings, and I'm sure everybody at home is familiar with them, lots of yellows. So he couldn't tell the difference between yellows and some of the greens and blues, and that's why there seems to be lots of yellows in Vincent van Gogh paintings because he was taking Digitalis, a.k.a. Fox Club. Don't do this at home. Is that a fact or a fib? <laughs> oh, Vic, uh, this is one that you could start off with because I might go on the counter view. You may have done some study in your life of the I know. I world. know he couldn't distinguish be- between the colours. I'm not sure if that was because of Digitalis or not, but it sounds like a pretty good story anyway. So how about I lock in true? <laughs> well, I'll take the count of you. I'll say that uh, Sherlyn, as uh, convincing as she might sound, is actually having a fib. It's true. Oh, Although yeah. he didn't Lost take it. Yeah, he didn't take it for his heart. He actually took it to sedate himself. That's what he did. <laughs> but it is, it is true. Well, he might have had heart problems as well, but he took it for its uh, sedation effect, so maybe you get a little bit of a point there as well, Pete. But the, the side effect of consuming the drug is that it's hard to differentiate between colours, and they say that's probably why. It wasn't just that he loved yellow. He probably just couldn't tell the, the difference between the colours. But then again, look that's at the beautiful That's called isn't it? No, it's not colour blindness. He just couldn't quite tell. Well, okay. yeah, that I suppose so. You could be born with colour blindness. But it's a, it's a funny side effect, isn't it? So, Starry Night, thank you, all well, those Mick, stay away from those <laughs> digitaluses, mate. You know? I, I'm actually very allergic to the pollen of foxgloves. It knocks me out. Mm, <laughs> I go into flowers. It's not, it's not something for everybody's garden, I have to say. Yeah, don't leave your drinks exposed to the pub, mate. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> might whack <laughs> a bit of digio in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Okay, thanks, Vic. We'll catch you next week. Oh, by the way, next week we're going to be at another nursery. It's going to be a very special outside broadcast to promote um, to promote to promote our uh, fundraising drive, Mm. and it's going to be at the Saddles Nursery at. 
It's Burbank and Saddles the other way around. Burbank Pete. and Saddles. Yeah, so it's, it's the Burbank. Burbank. Yeah, that's right, up there. That's a bit of a mixture. We're up at Mount White, so that's where we are. So it's actually Burbank Nursery at, at Saddles, Saddles on at Mount, Mount White, Mount <laughs> Central Coast, New South Wales. Australia. I hope I can make it. <laughs> Don't get Thanks, lost. Thanks, Vic. Catch you next week. Thanks, Vicky. Coast FM. Get your hands dirty with the Gardening Gang. Saturday mornings at 8 on Coast FM 963. Home of the classic hits, Coast FM 963 with Pete Little and Cheryl and Darcy. This is The Gardening Gang being sponsored by Alan Graham's Caravans and RVs and also Doormaster Security Doors and Windows at Berkeley Vale. Now, Cheryl and Darcy, mm. you have got the bell ringing in the background, which means it's time yes. to get your hands dirty, gardeners. Let's get our hands dirty. First on, what's on around the Central Coast? We love our local nurseries, all of them. That's why we have what's hot on every single week. And this is one of our favourites as well. Coachwood Nursery at Summersby has a wonderful workshop tomorrow from 3 to 5pm. You can take home a gorgeous flower arrangement that you can create on the day. Everything's supplied. You just bring along your own drink bottle and a box to take home your creation. Take a pen and paper too and something to take photographs because I tell you what, Ruth is the most experienced florist and she gives you all the notes you need. It's on rain, hail or shine. I think it is raining tomorrow, but you're going to be nice and cosy in there. It's held in the Dried Flower Emporium in the grounds of Coachwood Nursery. For more information and to book, coachwoodnursery.com. Right, what can you do in your own gardens? I hear you ask. It's time to reduce watering indoor plants and make sure they're well away from any heating that you've started to crank cup of late. You can also plant these things in your garden. Culinary herbs, artichokes, broad beans, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cabbages, cauliflowers, cress, garlic, kohlrabi, lettuce, mustard, onions, peas, shallots, spring onions, silver beets, spinach as well. In the flower department, mm, there's a few spring flowering bulbs you can get in, but hurry up. And you can also get in calendula, candy tuff, canterbury bells, carnations, columbines, Corn flowers, delphiniums, dianthus, everlasting daisies, forget-me-nots, those foxgloves we talked about, but they're not suitable for every garden. Keep them away from pets and young children. Also, gypsophila, hollyhock, honesty, larkspur now as well. And you can get your nigella in, pansies, populars, primulas, snapdragons, status stock, sweet peas, violas, and you guessed it, Pete, wallflowers. Okay, give them a bell, give them a yell at your local nursery. Nostradamus some years ago, Sherilyn, predicted Mm -hmm. that uh, Charles would never be crowned. How about that? He did, actually. That was a lot of years ago. Is it a fact or a fiction? (laughs) We'll find out today. Well, we'll know. Prince Charles going Mm. up for, uh, shall we say, uh, his final vows as the king of the Commonwealth? Yeah, I guess that's all how it happens. I don't know. We're not old enough. You were too young to remember what happened and I wasn't around. I'm not too sure. Oh, but a lot all, of prayers and lot of, spiritual yeah, things, yeah, but it is, uh, it? it's also a big celebration too worldwide for uh, the mighty Charlie. Charlie, come and good. <laughs> king Charlie. Okay. <laughs> I thought we'd play a track here. We're looking at all different songs with king in the title. Mm-hmm. And here's a good Aussie track, King of the Mountain. <laughs> I guess he is. Southern Gang with Pete and Sherilyn. Saturday morning we do it every week here mm. on the station that brings you lots of joy, Dutch. classic hits and the gardening gang. We're making home and garden fun. Now, Sherilyn, it's time to talk about pets because Tanya's on board mm-hmm. today. Our pet but you've got a rather interesting story and an interesting <sighs> angle 
that you want to bring up today. Help me yes. out. Yes. You're, oh, right, you're right to take this right. in, Tanya's there. Hi, Tanya. You're there. Good on you. Hi, guys. Okay, listen into this one, Tanya. All right. So I have seen this on the internet and I thought it was pretty much an American thing. Not to say anything bad about you Americans. And yes, okay. So <laughs> so and it is a family member who has dogs. Now I'm not a fan of this and it kind of was a bit shocking to me. So I went to their new place and walked in and they've got two beautiful dogs, it's a Kelpie and also a little French bulldog, a rescue. Beautiful dogs. And I had not I know who they are. <laughs> you know who it is. Yes. Anyway, and they've started training their dogs and they're doing a thing called cage training. Now, I, I've i seen this. You put the dogs in cage. They have cages like yeah. that you would see. Cage training. Cage training. So it's not like fighting in cages. It's that separately. <laughs> they, ha- they have separate cages and they sleep in them at night. It, it can be a discipline thing, a timeout thing as well. I'm going to be really honest, it didn't sit quite right with me and I don't quite understand it. I didn't want to ask too many questions and I thought, you know who I can ask? I can ask Tanya. Tanya, (laughs) what is this cage training all about? Look, let's firstly, I'm just going to correct the language a little bit because the the cage training makes it sound terrible. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I've got the wrong one. We in the vet world world call it crate training. Oh, crate. Okay, which... Which makes it sound a little bit nicer. I was <laughs> going to say, it, it had bars. It had bars on it. It was it a cage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, right. so crates have, crates have bars too. Look, the, the premise for crate training, it suits some dogs. It doesn't suit all dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, it ha- definitely has pros and cons. It can create a safe space for dogs to go and... Have some chill out time. Mm-hmm. It can be it can be used for discipline, absolutely. So if they're being a little bit naughty or a little bit rowdy, and you you know got people over, you can just say go go to your crate. It's very similar to go to your bed. Okay? Yeah, your bedroom. Yeah, but, mm. or go go to, go onto your bed with it with a dog. So mm. it gives them a space inside the house that is just theirs, mm. rather than putting them outside. Mm-hmm. But it does create, like I say, a safe space for them. Some people do lock them in there, you know, like if they if they go out, like if you've got a super anxious dog right. that chews on things when you're out, some people do, do lock them in there when they, if they just pop down to the shop and then come back, okay? Oh. I don't... <laughs> I'm sorry, Pete's pointing at me at the moment because he knows when I go down <laughs> the shops, I have to put all the cushions and pillows in my house in one room because somebody, whose name should remain Sailor, uh, <laughs> so, uh, chews up all the cushions. But that's a, that's a thing for another day. But I can, I can sort of, I could Time save myself. Time to get a crate, <laughs> maybe, madam. <laughs> Time to get a I can't imagine him in a crate. Anyway. <laughs> I, but, but Tanya is selling me a bit on this, so sorry, carry on, Tanya. Yeah, so look, it's used for anxiety. It mm. is used for discipline in a sense, but not in a, not, well, look, I would never use it in a bad sense. You know, you'd never lock them in there for hours and hours and hours on end. No. You know, well, I, I wouldn't. Yes, some people get them to sleep in there, but that's because it's like their bedroom. You know, mm. it's their little safe space. They, You know, most owners will put some water in there. Um, and it's just creating that routine that pets love. Pets love clockwork. Yeah, you they know, do. They, they, they love routine. So 
you know, you'll be like, go to your, go to your bed or go to your crate and then they'll let them out first thing in the morning. So, look, it suits some families, it mm-hmm. suits some pets, it doesn't suit all. It's not something that, that I would necessarily do, but it's something that some pets need. Some dogs need that. They need yeah, that structure out. and yeah. they need that place. Yeah. They need that place. So it's not necessarily a negative thing. Some people have, have their crate, the crate in their own bedroom next to their bed, and that's where the dog sleeps. So they're still in the bedroom, in the mm, bedroom next mm. to your bed, but they're, but in, they're their in the crate. crate. The overriding mm. opinion should maybe come okay. back to the RSPCA. How, what's the view from the uh, kind oh, of Oh, very positive. It's very, very positive. Very positive. Like it's, okay. It's, it's absolutely yeah. a practice. All right. It's just like a bed. Often, once they are trained, yes. they don't have to be locked in there. They just go in there. Oh, and it just makes it, it easier mm. to take them to the vet. Some people do it with cats. They'll just leave the cat box there uh-huh. in the lounge room or in the bedroom or whatever, and they'll make it a really safe space, and the cats just go in there all the time. Mm. And that way, when it's time to take your cat to the vet, there's no problem. The cat doesn't hate the, hate the carry cage because they're just so used to going in there. Well, My go. cat, on the other hand, hates going in his carry box because I don't leave it out. <laughs> I should leave it out. There you go. <laughs> so that's a bit of a myth buster today. It I is think another you've, uh, myth buster. Up all the opportunities that make yes. it a positive thing, the old crate. I'm starting to... Number one, start with a new name. Don't say cage. Don't say cage. It's, it's a, a crate. crate. I might be able to save my cushions yet, Tanya. Thank you. <laughs> What's your favourite <laughs> colour? I'll buy you one. Oh. Okay, there's Tanya there, our pet vet nurse on Coast FM's Gardening Gang this morning. Coast FM, Pete Little and Sherilyn Darcy, and it is time to talk property this morning. Sherilyn, we've got uh, young Lachlan on the line with us today. We do. Good morning, Lachlan. Every Saturday morning he joins us. Good morning, guys. Oh, good day, Lachlan. Uh, myths of the Central Coast real estate market. Well, yes. Last week um, we talked about myths of real estate in general. So we thought we might hitch up, Lachlan, with some of the more local Central Coast real estate yes. myths. Are you up for that? That sounds good. Okay. Well, uh, Sherilyn, you give us the first myth that you've come across. All right, Pete. You ready for this one? Mm. Myth number one. Units on the Central Coast are not as good an investment as houses. Well, I would imagine that there are, in proportions, there'd be one unit to every 50 houses on the coast. (laughs) Right. Units aren't a big deal, I think, apart from certain Mm. little spots. Lachlan, what's the uh, thought on uh, investing in units on the coast? So I think I think Pete, it's a a bit of a historical myth in in respect that previously units on the coast have not enjoyed the same capital growth as houses have. However, you know units recently have been attracting a significant amount of attention, and I actually think it's uh, it's that's not the case anymore. Certainly not, uh, because people are coming out of Sydney and looking for low maintenance investments and a unit can be a fantastic investment um, because you don't have to worry about the ongoing maintenance you can factor in your strata levies into the cost of of owning the investment property Mm -hmm. and you know to a degree what you're going to be up for so you know with so much development going on on the coast i think these days units are actually a great way to um, invest in our market so the tide has turned huh okay all right myth number two Central Coast myth this is, 
you shouldn't buy too close to the train line on the Central Coast. Pete? Do you know that Saratoga, we can hear the trains right across the bay, so pleasant it would not be to be, say, a Tascot with the railway there. Oh, okay. drive me nuts. What do we... I know people have got to live well, near a railway. Well, they do, yeah. But anyway, I, so as as far as buying, what's what's the verdict there, there, Lachlan? Oh, it's you. Well, yeah, Pete, I think, you know, you often hear people come up from Sydney and they'll say things to us like, um, oh, we got told by people who live on the coast that we well, don't want to be too close to the to the rail. You'll hear, you'll hear the trains. Mm. But the flip side of that is, as you just said, actually quite a lot of places that are around the bays, you can hear them anyway, so if you're needing to go to Sydney, they are the convenience of the trains mm. far outweighs being able to hear the odd freight train a few times a day. And the second thing is, is that we need to look at the types of buyers. And you can look at somewhere in Sydney, such as Strathfield, as a great example mm. of the rail being a key driver. That was an area which was always perhaps undervalued, didn't get as much attention paid to it. Mm-hmm. It was a rail hub. But the needs of buyers now, and especially those coming from overseas, are changing. And the rail is a key consideration. So being close to the train line on the coast, especially with so many commuters and this sort of overseas interests that do very much value that that, um, availability of transport. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas, you know, traditionally we've been happy to drive on the coast, but as it gets busier too, of course, the rail getting you into Sydney can be more and more attractive um, than it's ever been. So, yeah, I definitely think, Pete, being within a good proximity is going to be a good thing moving forward. The only good fun, mate, is when the 3801 comes streaming by <laughs> and it's... <laughs> whoop, whoop, whoop. Oh, look at a view. That, there you go. And such a magnificent beast that girl is as well. Nevertheless, uh, myth number three would myth be... Myth number uh, three. The lakes area is full of retirees. I think that's changing. Well, that's certainly on the change, isn't it, isn't mm. it, um, Sherilyn? Yep, it I don't is. Think yep. That, <laughs> yep, I'm sure you can attest to that there's, there's more and more young families moving in all the time. And I think we've spoken about this before, about yeah, how the proximity to Newcastle is really driving that area because you can go and have so many more employment options, um, you know, rather than uh, going to Sydney or, or even trying to seek employment elsewhere on the coast. So mm. definitely changing to a much younger demographic. And it's a lifestyle thing. My kids love coming up to our area of the world. And I have to say, sorry about this, Pete, but I did take them to Terrigal. They came around for a walk around and my son said, why would you bother living here? I feel like it's Bondi. I'd much rather be up in your neck of the woods. That's what he said. And I went, oh, okay. And yeah, he, he didn't see a difference until he got up to the lakes area. And, you know, these young kids, they love the, the hashtag van life. They like the whole sort of bit more closer to they're, nature. They're, kind of, they're prepared to do the old green. They're uh, prepared to do it, yeah. Mm, they want to be closer the green, to nature. What they they, call, what's yeah. that phrase? It's called the, the green change, is it? Green they, change? they want a green change and mm. they don't see it in the south. I, I've had mm. that straight out of Sydney kids. There you go. Okay, <laughs> so, well, that's interesting. Now, is there, there, a, is there yeah. a fourth myth that you've got there, there is, Sherilyn? There is. You shouldn't buy next to reserves on the central coast because of the increased bushfire risk. Oh, I worry about the foxes. The foxes. <laughs> You're always worried about I the foxes. I worry about the foxes and the deers oh coming Lord. in. Okay. Worried about them getting in the hen house, Pete. <laughs> But what about the bushfire risk, Lachlan? <laughs> well, it's 
It's a really interesting thing that Central Coast, we get asked this question a lot about bushfires because especially people coming from Sydney where they're in areas that they don't see a lot of greenery, Mm -hmm. they think, wow, this has got to be a really big danger. You know, we see what happens in the Blue Mountains. We see, you know, what's happened the past few years and, it, you know, you can understand why. But the Central Coast was designed in such a way there was the the whole principle of being able to see from any point the ridge lines and for there to be greenery and reserves on the ridge lines above the homes. So you felt like you're in a beautiful green environment. Mm -hmm. And that actually has meant that from a bushfire standpoint, it's actually quite uh, quite resilient because all of the homes, for the most part, are below the reserves, below Uh the national parks. And fire, which is why the Blue Mountains, uh, unfortunately, suffers um, significantly, um, fire travels much, much more easily upwards. Upwards. And it's something which has always meant that the Central Coast really, for how much bush is around, is a relatively lower bushfire risk. And the other, other thing, too, is that if you look at the bush, it's pretty lush and pretty coastal too. So so we're pretty safe from uh, bushfires, huh? Hmm. Okay. That's well, the there's myths. four myths of the Central Coast and uh, we're getting the expert opinion there from Lachlan McDonald. Thank you, champ. Well Thank, done. Thanks, Lachlan. Thanks, guys. Lachlan McDonald there from Ray White McDonald Partners at uh, Point Clare and uh, East Gosford. Gosford. <laughs> well, there's no bushfires. Hits at Coast FM 963. Neil Sadaka and a song actually recorded in Sydney with Neil at that time at the ATA Studios. Will and West Virginia from Coast FM. Five minutes before nine o'clock. Pete and Sherilyn, thank you for your company today. It's been a really pleasant program. And the calls also, too, about our upcoming uh, yeah. tour to Floriade. Four, three, two, five, eight thousand for bookings. Exciting. Catch you next week. Bye. Bye.